0: Welcome back to real pod Wednesdays here on uh, the second week of March, uh, getting ready for hopefully spring football at Ohio state next week. Also have uh, a big 10 tournament coming up later this week or actually starting today uh, for the conference as a whole, starting on Thursday for Ohio state uh, with its first game uh, in the big 10 men's basketball tournament, but a little bit of news, Uh, coming out on Tuesday that we'll start out with on this week's episode. And that being that uh, the Ohio state football team has paused team activities for one week due to COVID-19 cases within the program. And, you know, I, I thought, you know, we should start with this because I think naturally a lot of people see that news and, you know, first reaction is, you know, some combination of, Oh no, here we go again. Or is this thing ever going to end? And I mean, I'll be honest. Like when I woke up Tuesday morning and saw the news, like I was surprised to see it because I had kind of allowed myself to hope that, you know, we were past this stage of, you know, the a program having to shut down because of COVID-19 cases. But, you know, as Gene Smith said in his statement uh, accompanying the announcement on Tuesday morning, the pandemic is not over. Uh, I think there's, light at the end of a tunnel right now. I think there's reason to feel optimistic about by the time fall comes around that you know things are going to be in a good place and there's hopefully going to be a normal college football season in 2021. But uh still something that Ohio State has to navigate right now is they get ready to again hopefully start spring practice on March 19.
1: Déjà vu, baby.
0: That's all I thought when I when I well, oh, we're literally, as of today, I think, I think Thursday is the one-year anniversary of when the NBA got shut down and then everything started uh, to fall apart. So we're literally at the one-year mark of when this whole thing started, and unfortunately it's still something that uh, Ohio State has to deal with.
1: Yeah, I think my reaction is probably like some others out there, which is like, for me, I saw it because it hit my email inbox. And my reaction is sort of just like an eye roll and like, well, I guess I can't be that surprised. I mean, and at the same time, like I'll, I'll say this, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um And I also think, you know, I don't like, it's one of those things where I we don't have the specific numbers because Ohio State doesn't release specific numbers on any of its football programs or or, or any of its athletic programs or even just the athletic department as a whole. So it's hard for us to know exactly what it how how, how pervasive the issue is right now. But I think strategically, if there's any rise at all, you might want to shut it down a week and a half before spring practice starts instead of one week before spring practice starts. And, and it's pure speculation to say that because I don't know the specific numbers, but it makes sense from an Ohio State perspective because you obviously want spring practice to go off as much without a hitch as you possibly can have. And the only way that happens is if you're not on pause during it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think certainly the hope still is that you know activities will resume at some point next week and they will be able to start spring practice on Friday and they will be able to have a full allotment of uh, spring practices and that they will have a spring game on April 17. I think that's still the plan. I don't think this changes the plan. Um you know, I think it's just a matter of them deciding that they needed to, you know, exercise caution right now and and you know, I think that if, if if I agree, I think if there is a rise in cases within the program. I think, you know, that's a smart move, you know, and I, and I know, you know, you see the discourse on, on Twitter and, and some people are thinking, you know, you know, why are we still doing this? You know, or there's people, you know, there's, there's, there's people out there criticizing the big 10 when something like this comes out. I mean, first of all, the big 10 didn't make this decision. Gene Smith and, and Dr. Borchers made this decision for Ohio state. And, you know, in, in regards to if, if you know if we're criticizing the Big Ten here, I'm really not sure why. Like, are we are we going to argue here that the Big Ten shouldn't still be testing athletes the same way they were last year? Because I would certainly disagree with that if that's if that's the argument that's out there. Because COVID's still a thing, but players have not been vaccinated yet. I think there's good reason for optimism that players are going to be vaccinated by the time September's rolls around. And that's why I don't look at this as any reason to panic or as any reason to think we're starting all over again. Uh, But right now, that's, that's still not where we are right now. COVID is still a thing that can spread throughout a team and Ohio state certainly does not want to have its whole team get COVID. So I think Ohio state has to do what it has to do uh, to, to try to avoid these things. And again, hopefully this will be the extent of it for the next couple months and they'll be able to you know have a pretty smooth spring practice
1: yeah we experienced press the panic buttons plenty of times in the last year and this just doesn't feel like one of them like there's just so much separation between right now and the fall and like I also mentioned and you know there's separation right now between today on Tuesday March 9th and March 19th when they actually begin spring spring practice. So, yeah, I mean, there's not even that much that we can really talk about it because, you know, it, to me, unless this is something that just becomes like it pops up during spring camp or, or the, the virus numbers don't seem to be getting better despite the vaccines, which would feel uh, like it goes against logic. um, Then I, I I can't imagine that we're going to look back on this as, as it being a significant moment in the year of 2021 for Ohio state football.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, like, I, I've tried I try not to get too optimistic about this stuff, because we know how much things can change uh, from one day to the next when it comes to COVID. But t- truly, I mean, I, I'm co- very confident that, you know, things are going to go pretty smoothly this fall. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, w- with the announcement last week that, you know, there should be enough uh, COVID vaccines for every adult American uh, by the end of May. I don't see any reason why, you know, the entire football program wouldn't be vaccinated by the time uh, the season rolls around. And I'm sure that, you know, there's going to be a very concerted effort, you know, by the NCAA to make sure that, you know, athletic departments are, you know, getting their athletes vaccinated and all that. So I, I don't really see, you know, I don't really see a concern in terms of a season happening in the fall or anything like that. I think, you know, the one question that to me, I think is out there right now is will stadiums be full in September? And that, that to me is hard uh, to predict. I think it's certainly possible. I think there's certainly momentum in that direction. Uh, Last week, Mike DeWine had said that, you know, he, he thought that could be a possibility uh, for state of Ohio to have, you know, full stadiums at some point, you know, later this year. Uh, You know, Kevin Warren, I guess he was on Sirius XM on Tuesday, and he said that the Big Ten will likely have those conversations around June, which would be after, you know, the winter and spring sports seasons are over, which, you know, in my opinion, that makes sense uh, that you would you would kind of reevaluate where things stand at that time. You know, I I think, you know, the the big concern that a lot of Ohio State fans have and understandably so based on the way things went last year is the ACC and SEC and big 12 are all going to proceed forward as normal. And the big 10 is not going to do so, which again, I totally get that because we saw what happened last year. So I I totally get that, but I, I also really don't think that's what's going to happen. Like I I think the big 10 like realized from last year that it, it can't just go off and do its own thing and expect everyone to follow their lead. So I would think the big Ten is going to try to be more in lockstep with everyone else for the fall. And again, I think if, you know, vaccine rollout works the way it's supposed to, it could be a non-issue. I mean, I think that's the hope is that it could be a non-issue and that, you know, it it's just an obvious decision to proceed forward as normal. But, you know, if we're, you know, if we're talking about a situation where Alabama and Clemson have full stadiums and Ohio State has no fans at all, that would really surprise me. I mean, certainly there could still be different protocols in place between conferences, but I don't see it any being anything, you know, drastically as different as what we saw this past season.
1: All right. So that's coronavirus talk. Do you want to now do football and basketball talk, Dan? Because we did not plan to do coronavirus talk, yet coronavirus talk and the way that it does. That's happened a lot in the past years.
0: That's happened a lot in the past year where – we, we have something planned and then uh, COVID has other plans. Uh, so uh, that is the case again today. But as we talked about before, uh, you know, spring football as of as of this moment is still on to start next Friday, March 19. So, you know, that gives us two more episodes before spring practice starts. So we thought we would talk about the offense today and kind of preview what we're going to see from the offense This spring. And then next week uh, we would go to the defense. So obviously if we're going to talk offense, uh, we're going to start with quarterback competition because that's going to be the big storyline of the spring for sure. And, you know, whenever spring practice does start, it's really going to be the first opportunity to really evaluate CJ Stroud versus Jack Miller versus Kyle McCord for the starting quarterback in 2021 at Ohio state. And, and for those of you who haven't seen it, I did a series of pieces for 11 Warriors uh, this past week about the free quarterbacks. Uh, so I hope you all will go and read those if you haven't already, uh, but kind of took a look at, you know, all three of the quarterbacks and what they bring to the table, you know, talk to their high school coaches, uh, you know, people who, you know, know who they are as uh, players and people to kind of get a better idea of who each of them are. And, you know, truthfully, like, when I after digging into all three of those guys more my biggest takeaway is I I really genuinely believe all three of these guys could be great college quarterbacks and I think that gives a lot of reason for Ohio State fans to be optimistic about the future of this position because I think they've got three really talented young guys and whoever wins the job you're, you expect them to be at Ohio State for at least two or three years. And I think it's possible that any one of these three guys could be the next great quarterback at Ohio State.
1: Hopefully everybody read those uh, stories and it seemed like, based on the numbers, that, that a lot of people did. Um, if we were to just go 30 seconds on each of these guys, starting with C.J. Stroud, like, what are your main takeaways? What do you feel like you learned in talking to people around C.J. Stroud, the short version of it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that really, you know, came up a lot with C.J. is just the kind of competitor he is. Like, he, he's a guy who, who's just always going to uh, compete. He always wants to get better. You know, his high school football coach, you know, told me about he would watch more film than most of the assistant coaches. Uh, I also talked to his high school basketball coach because he was also a, a good basketball player. Uh, his basketball coach said he he could have been a D1 basketball player if that was his uh, primary sport. Uh, you know, he, you know, he had, you know, the one example was, you know, his junior year, uh, he hit a game winning free pointer, uh, for an upset win in the playoffs. So, you know, he's one of those guys that, you know, definitely shines into bright lights. I and mean, then, you know, you, you watch his film, like, like it's very impressive. Like he, he's a guy, you you can see again, it's such a dangerous comparison to make, but you can see the shades of Justin Fields. If you watch his film and you just watch, the kind of athlete he is, and the kind of plays that he makes, you can see how if he becomes the starter and he develops the way that Ryan Day thinks he can, that he could run the offense in a similar way to how Ohio State ran the offense with Justin Fields.
1: Then Jack Miller, what did you learn about Jack Miller that you feel like you maybe didn't know or was good to get a refresher on?
0: Yeah, you know, I think Jack you hear talk about Jack, you know, like one of the big things that his, you know, high school coach talked about was, you know, he's a guy who everybody really rallies around him, that he's uh, you know, a, a great leader. You know, he's got kind of an energy about him that the team would go as he goes and, you know, another thing about Jack that I think just stands out is you just watch some of a some of the ways that he won games in his career. I mean, there were a couple instances where Uh, He literally threw walk-off touchdown passes on the final play of the game. So this is a guy who, you know, when that game is on the line and they needed him to make a clutch play, uh, that tended to be, you know, where he was at his best. And I think, you know, watching him, I think he's always the guy who is kind of being looked at as the underdog in this situation because his recruiting rankings were not as high as the other two but i think the ability is there i think i think the ability is there but if if he can win this job i, I think he has a chance to be a really good player
1: and lastly the new guy in town in, in town kyle mccord what do you
0: feel like that that you learned about him yeah i mean it seems like everybody raves about kyle mccord and and the kind of uh, guy he is the kind of worker he is you know his his offensive coordinator who i talked to for a while uh, you know, he, he, he had some really good things to say about Kyle. I mean, one of the things he said about him was, you know, you know, this is a guy, I mean, he, he had, he had an offer from central Michigan before he even started his high school career and his office coordinator, said, you know, he works like he's a no star disrespected kind of guy. You know, he, he has no ego about him. He's the kind of guy who, you know, they could coach really hard and, and he would take it. He didn't, you know, expect to be, you know, treated like a, a celebrity. Uh, or anything like that. And then, I mean, the guy's just a winner. I mean, if you just look at what he's done in his high school career, I mean, his three years as the starter, St. Joe's Prep won three state championships. He was the national high school player of the year. This past year, he set Philadelphia City records for passing yards and passing touchdowns. So, you know, this is a guy, you just look at what he accomplished in his high school career. He really couldn't have accomplished anything more than he does. And, you know, you the way his coaches talk about him, you know, it's not just a physical thing. He's also got uh, those traits you really want. And a guy is the face of your franchise as well.
1: It's an interesting group of three. And, And at this point, like, I feel like Ohio state fans, Ohio state media, everybody around is just like, all right, I think we know them all right now. We have a good grasp on, on what they have been. Let's see what they are. And I think that this spring is where we really find that because, you know, there's a, I think, I want to play the percentage game with you on on two percentages, but but let's just start with this percentage. What is the percentage that by the end of spring
0: we have a winner? Five percent. All right, I'm going zero percent. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that zero. there's any chance. Um, I guess I guess this would be my answer: five percent that Ohio State has decided on a winner and won't tell us. <laughs> zero zero percent. That Ryan Day will actually publicly name a starter at the end of spring.
1: Well, I'm way higher on the they probably they have a really good idea of who it is, but aren't going to say anything. I would probably be like around 50 percent on that. I think that they'll know coming out of spring who their guy probably is. I just don't think they're going to tell anybody. But the spring, obviously, even beyond that, like it goes, it goes, it goes a big way in just figuring out what to expect from this offense, what to expect from this team, and because there's just one giant question mark, right? And it's, what is Ohio State getting out of this position? I mean, we know the names, but we just
0: have no idea who the guy is, what the production level is, really anything about it other than the three names. Yeah, I mean, none of them have ever thrown a pass in an Ohio State uniform. Yeah. So that's that means they're all completely unproven. I mean, I think, again, I think if, if you look at all of them and who they are, I think the potential is really high all of them and I think you know, most likely whoever you pick is going to be a great quarterback at Ohio State but at this point they're still completely unproven and that's you know it, it makes this spring so 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 important for those guys because you have to you have to come out of, even if you don't know who your starter is going to be yet you have to come out of spring feeling like you know where each of those guys you're at and certainly you know you, you definitely want to come out of spring feeling good that at least one of those guys can be a successful starter in 2021. If it's two of them or three of them, that would be even better. But you got to come out of spring feeling good that at least one of those guys is going to be ready to go in September.
1: So I think the last thing, because there's just not a ton more to talk about the quarterbacks, let's play the percentage game. These three guys, the percentage chance that on week one, they're Ohio State starting quarterback. I'll start since I've actually okay. thought about this
0: <laughs> okay. and I'm just springing. You love on. like throwing these out there. I out give me of any time I to do. think about them.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the, the caveat to all of these is I think I've probably thrown these out there. And if it's beyond three weeks, I, I probably have already forgotten about what we said. So that's the good thing is we'll never be held accountable unless you are our, our lovely listeners actually bring it to our attention. Um, I'm going to go CJ Stroud at 60%. And I don't know what my number was um, earlier in the year. I think it was probably a little bit higher. Um, I think the the more the, the the more the more we wait essentially for spring practice, the more it just feels like. I, I just think back to the fact that, like, I mean, the reason I'm picking CJ Stroud as the favorite right now is essentially because he was the guy that Ryan Day really wanted and chased after um, down the stretch of his recruitment. Um, and he was a really t- highly touted recruit who did really well in the uh, in the elite eleven. Had a great senior high school season, but I've actually never really actually seen him play at Ohio State. So, so I think it's tough to go a lot higher than that as spring starts. Um, and I'm basically twenty percent on both Jack Miller and, and Kyle McCord. Um, I just think that this is this is made this is just such a wide open, interesting competition that even though I give CJ Stroud the the he's he to me is the the clear favorite as we enter the spring. I don't really know anything about any of these guys beyond what they were in high school. And I think that that's the most interesting part of the spring is, is learning really anything else about these guys, which is like, it's such a low bar, but I mean, I think you as Ohio state fans, us as Ohio state uh, reporters, um, we're just interested to learn about these guys and and, and at a
0: deeper level beyond just, you know, that they were four-star recruits out of, out of high school. Yeah. I'll go 50% for CJ Stroud. I think, He is the front runner, but, you know, I think he's way too unproven. And the other guys are too talented for me to put it higher than 50% for for CJ Stroud. You know, I I think, you know, I think there's a lot of, you know, jumping to that conclusion that like, he's going to be the guy based on very, very limited information here. And I still think that the door is very much open for one of these other two Uh, to go into spring practice and potentially outperform him and win the job away. It it might be his job to lose, but I don't know that I'd really even put it that far. I think, you know, I think he's probably shown enough in year one that he he might go in with a leg up on those other guys, but I still think it's really going to come down uh, to what happens, you know, this spring and summer. So I'll put him at 50%. I'm going to put Kyle McCord at like 33%. Like I I think Kyle McCord has a real chance to to win this job, you know? And I think, you know, I think that scares some people because I think that some people look at it and go, if Kyle McCord wins the job, does that mean we lose both CJ Stroud and Jack Miller? Does it potentially mean we even lose Quinn Ewers because he'd have to wait on the bench for two years behind Kyle McCord? but Ohio State can't approach the competition that way. Ohio State has to approach this competition of who is the best quarterback to lead our offense this year because as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, there's a lot of other talent on this offense, and you've got to utilize those guys while you have them. So I think there's a, I think there's a real chance Kyle McCord could prove this spring and summer that he's the best guy. I, I think he's really talented. I, I think he's a guy... who's very polished for a guy coming in as a freshman. Now, he's also got a huge learning curve as a true freshman to try to win this job. I mean, the only true freshman who's ever started a season opener quarterback for Ohio State was Art Schliester. So it's very rare that that happens. Uh, I mean, there's definitely areas in which he's going to have to catch up to Stroud and Miller because he's a true freshman, but I think he's talented enough and I think he's got the right makeup about him. That it's certainly possible that that he could come in and win the job, and then I, g- I guess that leaves seventeen percent for for Jack Miller, which I'm not ruling him out. I mean, I'm, I'm really not ruling Jack out. I think he he's viewed as the underdog in this situation, but I, I mean, I think it's possible he he could win the job. I, I think it would surprise me more than Stroud or McCord win, winning the job, just because we did see that Stroud. Was ahead of Jack last year, at least in the sense of he was the guy who was being called upon to go into a game when when Justin Field had had to leave a game. And you know, I you know Stroud and Stroud McCord were both top fifty prospects for a reason. You know, I think you know if you just look at their physical skill sets, their upside might be a little bit higher than Jack. But yet, you know, I watch Jack and I look at like his recruiting ranking. I see his number nine, and I go. There, this is a guy, maybe he, if he doesn't win the job at Ohio State, maybe he transfers elsewhere and he has a Joe Burrow-like career. I mean, I I, I mean, I, I think anything is possible with these three guys. So, you know, I'm, I'm going Stroud, number one, McCord, number two, and, and Jack, number three. But I'm just so, I just really, really hope that we are able to get in the doors and, and watch these guys compete a little bit this spring because it's going to be such a fascinating competition to watch.
1: No, we had at least one question asker. Oh, Jimmy Io, who asks us, do we think Kyle McCord shocks the world and, and is the starter? Because this person does, and and I know that we're not picking him to do that, but I mean, neither of us are even close to ruling him out. You know, he's 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 pretty much the wild card in this to me. But to move on real quick to the running backs, which I think I wrote about the most intriguing position groups on the team a few weeks ago, and believe that i ranked this second right behind quarterback because to me there's a lot of uncertainty you know i think master teague maybe we, we've thought about you know is master t is master t going to change anything or is or is this sort of going to be the master t that, that we've seen the last two years show up again this fall and maybe he's healthier maybe he can you know become a little bit more agile i don't really know um but then you have the unknowns and i think the unknowns are where the 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 intrigue really begins. And that's with Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor coming in as top 100 recruits. That's with Mayan Williams coming back as someone who, in just a couple carries in the festival got people, got people really, really excited. And then that's also steel chambers and, and Marcus Crowley trying to prove that they still deserve carries. They deserve looks and and maybe one of them
0: can make a push. Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to believe master Teague is who he is as as a running back. And I think, who he is, is a good running back. I don't, I, I, you know, I don't think he's a great running back. And I, I, I can, can he make that jump and become that Ezekiel Elliott, J.K. Dobbins kind of player? I, I don't know but I see that in, in his future, but he's a good running back. He's by far the most experienced running back. And I'd be very surprised if he's not in the rotation next year. I think he's going to be one of the top two running backs. Now, I think the question is, you know, behind him, Who else can jump in there? And can somebody eventually supersede him and 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 become you know that feature back? And you know I think you know the the guys who I think are going into this spring with the most hype are Travion Henderson and and Mayan Williams because you know Travion Henderson I mean five star recruit I think he's going to be the most talented running back on the roster. I'm certainly not ruling anything out for him in terms of what he could do this year. And then I think you know we saw enough from Mayan last year that you know he's a really intriguing guy that I think you're going to want to find a way uh, to get him some carries. So, you know, those are the two guys that really intrigued me. You know, I think, you know, I, you know, I look at, you know, Crowley and Chambersville and I say, those are two guys, you know, to me, this is a massive spring for those guys, because I think they've got to establish a foothold on the depth chart, you know, and they've, they've got to get, if they're going to make their move into the rotation, it's got to happen this year if it does, because if they get surpassed by Travion Henderson or Mayan Williams or Evan Pryor, then it's probably not going to happen for them at Ohio State because they're going to have younger guys uh, in front of them taking the carries. But you know, I think this is a massive spring for those two. If they're going to make a move and if they're going to become playmakers for Ohio State, I think it's got to happen now.
1: It does. I think that this and this and quarterback are the two where they're made they're made so fun to to think about because you know if you're considering tight end, if you're considering wide receiver, if you're considering the offensive line, the other position groups on on Ohio State's offense, I think you're probably pretty crazy if you're not projecting, you know, a certain starter. And I think you could probably make a really good case. For four or five of these guys to to start on on week one for Ohio State and like for Ohio State running back position, like that's pretty crazy. Like this is this is sort of uncharted territory because almost always we at least have like one guy who you know is going to start or one guy who you're really certain is going to get a lot of the carries. Like I think Master Teague is probably a little bit close to that, but I think that there's enough um, there, there are enough dynamic players outside of him at the position that make there almost no certainty at running back. So what's your percentage for who's going to be the starting running back? I was like thinking about that question and I think it's downright impossible. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's literally impossible. I'm like trying to do the math in my head. I don't even know who I would pick as like the
0: odds on favorite. Do you, like, is, is master Teague your odds on favorite? You know, yeah, I would, I would go Teague. I think, I think Teague's the favorite. I mean, if we're talking, especially if we're talking like week one, like I, I'd probably put him at like 60 or, or 70% to start in week one. Um, and then, you know, Travion, I, I'd probably put him at like 25% because I, I think that, you know, he, he's a guy who, you know, I really could see having that JK Dobbins uh, kind of rise. Uh, and then I'd probably put, you know, I'd probably put Mayan at like, I don't know, 5% or something and Crowley and Chambers at whatever's left. I
1: was literally just like trying to do some quick math because I can't possibly um, do this uh, do, do the math um, in my own head as I'm talking, apparently. Um, I think I'm basically like Master Teague, 40%, Travion Henderson, 40%. Mayan Williams five percent Marcus or Mayan Williams ten percent Marcus Crowley five percent steel chambers four and a half percent Evan Pryor half a percent. I guess I won't rule him out but he's made I would be absolutely blown away if it was him I, I think I think you can make it just a really strong case for some of these guys like I think Marcus Crowley in particular you know he's been around he he had some people early on in his career really in his corner and now that this is year three for him, like he's a guy I feel like maybe we're underselling. Um, but when you're also looking at the fact that Master Teague's a two-time all big ten honoree, Travion Henderson is who Travion Henderson is, my wing was really flashed last year. There's a lot of talent in here. And for for a group that I remember at this time last year, we're like, I don't really I don't really know what they have here. They're they're Master Teague quick shortly uh, shortly thereafter got injured. They're, did they even have a running back healthy at that time? Was it basically Steel Chambers?
0: It was, yeah, it was Steel. It was, at one point, Steel Chambers was the only healthy scholarship running back on the roster. Yeah. I mean, that's insane.
1: And to to come one year later, and last year, obviously, you fixed it with Trey Sermon, but to come one year later, and there are five or six guys that you can get really excited about, like, this room is in a great place.
0: Like, that's the thing about, like, both, like, quarterback and running back. Like, yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty, but like, you can also feel really good about the depth that they're going into this spring with because they've got a bunch of options here, which it's always good to have options. There's going to be tough decisions that have to be made, but it's always good to have more options than not enough options.
1: No, I think you make a good point because if, if, they, if we hit the fall and the quarterback or the running back are not very good and they're negatives – blame the coaching because somewhere along the road, the coach has made a bad decision because there's enough talent at both quarterback and running back. They, like they, sh- these should be plus positions for Ohio state. Even if there are, there's some inexperience or like with a master T, you're wondering exactly what you're going to get out of him. Like there's a lot of talent in these position groups. So If you're not getting what you think that, that Ohio state should be getting to, to me that it would end up being on the coaches.
0: Yeah. I mean, you really, at both positions, you really only need one third of them to really be, the players they're supposed to yep. be to really be successful. I mean, you need one of those quarterbacks to be great and you need two of those running backs to be great. If you, if you can get that, you're going to be in a good place.
1: All right. Wide receiver. Uh, what percentage chance is Garrett Wilson going to start? 100%. <laughs> Same <laughs> okay. with Chris Olave. Uh,
0: it's, now Jameson Williams game, or yeah. that, that one would be a more of a question. That one of yeah, the percentage
1: games, in. not exactly a thrill when we get to the receiver room. I think the receiver room is interesting in Everybody except for the two guys who are really, really good. Because we know Garrett Wilson is going to be great. It's just a matter of how great he is. And we know that Chris Olave is going to be great. Um, The question is, beyond them, how many targets do the other guys get? Who else is in the rotation? And like you said, who's that third starter? What what among those questions to you in the spring is going to be the most interesting thing to pay attention to
0: over these next month and a half? I think the most interesting thing is, I mean, we know Chris Olave's back. We know Garrett Wilson's back. I think we can assume that Jameson Williams, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and Julian Fleming are all going to be in the rotation again, too. So to me, the most interesting question is, can somebody else break into that rotation? It, is this rotation going to expand? Because, you know, I know the first time we talked to Brian Hartline, he's going to bring out the same line about like they can rotate rotation. eight or nine guys. Yeah. It, not, they're not going to do it. They, they say it every year, and they don't do it. So – That's my question is, is it realistic for anyone else to really break into this rotation? Because, I mean, to me, there's five other guys that feasibly could. I mean, you've got G. Scott Jr., you've got Cam Babb, you've got Emeka Buka, you've got Jaden Ballard, you've got Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, there's so much talent in this room, but there's only so many snaps to go around. And I think that's especially true when you've got Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. I mean, those guys can't be playing half the snaps in a game like those guys got to be on the field for a majority of snaps they're too good to not be out there most of the time so that just doesn't leave that many more snaps to go around so you know what's your thought on that Colin is is there anybody in the group of guys that I just named that you think is going to force Fairway way into that rotation
1: my thought is that that we're going to get fed six months of BS and it you know, at some point, probably in month four, I'm going to be like, well, you know, they've been saying it a lot I and know. we hadn't, we wouldn't have seen a practice for like two months. And I'll be like, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe there's a chance. No, there's, how is there possibly a chance? I mean, you, you said it, what are you going to do? Kate, take Garrett Wilson or Crystal Lobby off the field half the time. Like that would just seem like a complete mistake. Um, and I can't. I can't imagine that Chris Olave came back to play fifty percent of the snaps. I mean, Chris Olave is going to be featured the same way uh, that that he and Garrett Wilson were last year. And maybe there's a maybe they get just a slightly smaller percentage of the targets. I think that's conceivable. One, we won't know that in the spring. We're not going to learn that and, until the fall comes around. But two, I just don't. I, I, if, until it happens, I'm just not going to be buying that. I just won't. So I think that 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 sits sky in the rotation, like you said. Maybe there's some room for an Emeka Ibuka. Um, I I I just, I'm not really seeing it. I think maybe the most interesting thing for me, because I'm not buying that, is who's the other starter? And does that actually matter? Because Jameson Williams was fine last year. Um, he just didn't really do a lot. <laughs> and part of that, I I don't know, was probably because they targeted the other two guys on the field a lot more than him. Um, and at the same time, I thought we would see a little bit more of his speed utilized down the field, and we just didn't. And I don't—it's hard to know exactly who to pin that on. Whether it's was it was he just not getting open, or plays the not being called um, that 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 really would really feature that. It's it's hard to know from from our vantage point. But like personally, I'm just
0: very interested to see if if Jess and Smith and Jigba can can push for that starting role. Yeah, I'm of the opinion that that. Starting spot should be open for competition because I don't think Jameson proved last year that he belongs in the starting lineup. Now, that's again that's so let's say Jameson's a bad player. I mean, I think he's going to be in the rotation one way or another, but I do think that starting job should be open for competition because he, he, there wasn't a ton of production from Jameson last year. So I too am intrigued. You know, I I I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is gonna make a big push for that job. I think Julian Fleming. Uh, certainly could too. And so, you know, I, now in terms of a second question, does it really matter? I don't know if it really matters because my feeling is it's going to be handled pretty similarly to how it was last year where, you know, you know, let's, it could be Jamison and Jackson or, you know, maybe Julian or maybe somebody else factors in there where, you know, I think Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are going to be on the field for a majority of snaps. I'm not sure that's true of any other receiver. I think that third spot you know, there can be a lot of rotation there between, you know, two guys both playing half the snaps. I think that's probably more likely than there being a third guy who plays a ton of snaps because, I mean, you got so much talent in this rub. You got to rotate somewhere uh, if you're going to get more guys on the field and, you know, all three of them will rotate. But, you know, I just think when you're in a big game, you, you just can't take Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson off the field very often.
1: I think that anybody watching spring practice and looking at the wide receivers, like we were talking about all these different nuances. Like, I just think that all you're going to do is just look at them and be like, I cannot believe they have this much talent on one position on one team. Like that's, that's, that's really my takeaway. It's like, I, like we can talk about all the details. They're going to be awesome at wide receiver. It's just a matter of how they do it. Right.
0: They better be. I and mean, they better be. <laughs> I mean, to, to have, I mean, Arguably, I mean, I think Pro Football Focus ranked Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson as the number one and number two returning receivers in the country, and then you've got eight other guys who are also top 100 prospects. So they should absolutely have the best receiver room in the country. And if if they don't, something's gone wrong because there's just too much talent for them not to.
1: All right, somehow, some way beyond the fact that I'm just going to be staring at a Buka and looking and being like, how in the world is this guy, like a fourth, fourth string wide receiver at Ohio state? Uh, once I'm done doing that, I'll look over at tight end and see, Oh, Jeremy records back. So Ohio state also has one of the best tight ends in the country, but I'm probably not going to look at him that long because I want to know who's behind him. Um, I can't imagine that they're going to play as many multi tight end looks as they have in the past two years, just because of the inexperience. Um, Beyond him and also because they have way too many wide receivers to 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 play Kate Stover or Joe Royer too much. But the guys behind Jeremy Ruckert have essentially zero experience.
0: Yeah, I mean Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson have both said in the past that one of the reasons why they used so many two tight end sets the past couple of years was because of personnel, because they had two really good tight ends in, in Jeremy Rucker and Luke Farrell. So I do absolutely agree, but I think we're gonna see less of that this year. But that also doesn't mean we're not going to see any of it because I do think that's, you know, a valuable component, particularly in the run game. And so I do think it's important for a number two tight end to really establish himself this spring. And, you know, I look at Cade Stover as the guy who should be that guy. You know, I think in terms of, you know, upside here, I mean, you know, he, he's a guy, he's a real physical specimen Uh, you know, he's very unproven. He played five snaps last year on offense. He's only, you know, he came in as a linebacker, moved to defensive end before moving to tight end. So he's very unproven in that position, but I, he's definitely a guy. If we get to watch spring practices, I am going to be intrigued to see what he looks like, because I think, uh, you know, he's guy's got a lot of upside. I just don't know who he is as a player. And beyond that, you know, the depth is very questionable. You know, I think, I think Mitch Rossi is a walk on as a guy who's legitimately in that mix for that number two tight end spot, just because, Joe Royer hasn't played a snap at Ohio state. Sam Hart hasn't played a snap at Ohio state. I'm still guessing those guys are are guys that are probably more likely to make an impact beyond this year than they are in 2021. So I don't know that, you know, I think obviously Ohio state wants to get those guys some snaps late in games this year, but I'd be surprised if either one of them saw a ton of playing time. So, you know, I look at, I do look at Stover as the guy that they're really going to be counting on and, and how he develops might determine how much Ohio state actually uses two tight end sets. The good news is they, they do legitimately have one of the best tight ends in the country and Jeremy Rucker, they just need more depth behind them.
1: Yeah. I don't know. what's more, more, more riveting coronavirus talk or backup tight end talk, but, but we, we are offering both today and, The only way that we're going to one up this is by interior offensive line talk, uh, which is the third most exciting part of this podcast. You know, I think that the interior offensive line is going to be really good. I feel like I have a good idea of who it's going to be. We haven't ever seen these guys line up the way that they might. And I think that that's the interesting part when we think about how they're going to replace Josh Myers, how they're going to replace um, Wyatt Davis and, and what it all looks like, because we know that Thayer Munford and Nick petit Frere are back as the starting offensive tackles. You know, we, we think Harry Miller will, will start at, at one of the spots inside. We think Matthew Jones will start at one of the spots inside. We think Paris Johnson will start at one of the spots inside. We don't know any of those things for sure, but we feel pretty good about them right now. I think there's also a chance that we watch a spring practice and have our mind blown because, Oh wait, there's Dewan Jones right there at the starting unit. Like there, there, there are some other guys here who I think are really interesting to, 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 to consider. And, and Dewan's one of them. Uh, Ryan Jacoby's one of them. Enoch Vamahi's one of them. Um, there, there are several of them. Luke that, that I'm, yeah. Luke Whippler's one of them. Like there, there are several guys who I think are in, in competition right there. And and this is a, just another instance where
0: like, there are just a lot of really good options. So what would your percentages be there? for the top three guys that they'll each be starters and then anyone else? So
1: my percentage that on week one, provided nobody gets hurt, the starting offensive line...
0: And it doesn't Harry have to Ma- be specific position, just if yeah. they're in the starting lineup.
1: Those three, that Harry Miller, Matthew Jones, and Paris Johnson will be the three starters up front. Like I'm at like 80 to 85%. I'm very confident. I would be very surprised if somebody um, supplanted them. I also feel like like the Dewan Jones factor to me is just something I can't really account for. Cause I don't really, I don't really know. Um, one, I don't really know how Paris Johnson's transition to an interior lineman will go just because he's obviously, you know, he's an offensive tackle. Um, you know, I expect it'll go fine, but, but you you never know for sure. Uh, Harry Miller obviously had his struggles as, as a first year starter. Matthew Jones has never been a full-time starter before. So You know, I say that I say that confidently because I believe in each of those guys' talents, probably more so than I, you know, am basing this off of off of uh, actually seeing them together and 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 basing it off of actual facts, I guess you could say.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. Like I think I'd put each of those guys individually at about 80 percent that they're gonna be starting on the offensive line this year. I do think that they're the free front runners, but you know, Dewan, like if, if we're just like on one spot, like he's at least at 20% for me. Like I, I do think yeah, that he's basically the he, other 20%. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I would be more surprised. Like I don't rule out an Enoch Bamahi uh, or a Luke Whipler getting in there, but it would surprise me. Uh, DeWand, I, I I'm very intrigued to see what he looks like this spring. I, I definitely am not ruling him out because there are not many humans on the planet period who are that big and can move like that at that size. So when you, when you have that, that kind of physical uh, skill set that Dewan Jones has, I'm not counting that guy out.
1: I would never count him out, even though I projected that he would not be a starter. He proceeded to to quote tweet my tweet and make <laughs> fun of it and make me feel bad, which and, I, which it, I and,
0: fully understand. <laughs> and we talked about this off air every day. I think we both agree if we were ranking the best Ohio state football players on Twitter, Dewan Jones is number one. Listen,
1: DeJuan Jones has my Twitter heart. I feel like every 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 time I see a Dewan Jones tweet pop up, it, I, I smile because Dewan just tweets like people use Facebook statuses like a decade and a half ago, like when Facebook was created and you would just like just tweet random things on, or you just post random things on your mind. And it's like that's what early Twitter was too. Dewan's just living in that world. And, and I love to follow someone who lives in that world. It's excellent. It's fantastic. Beyond Dwan's Twitter account, what else is there? Anything else on the offensive line that you'll be interested to um, to pay attention to in the spring?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think, I mean, I guess what I'm interested in is, you know, at that center spot, is do they just go full speed ahead with Harry Miller there, or does Matthew Jones work in there? Does Does Luke Whipler get some first team reps? I'm intrigued to see how they do that because I think, you know, Harry Miller, like it's it's kind of been presumed that he would just slide over when you know Josh Myers left but you know because Harry Miller had some struggles last year I mean I mean he got benched in the national championship game for Matthew Jones I mean he he got benched because Matthew Jones played better against Clemson than than Harry Miller had played in previous games and so I don't know that it's a given that that Harry Miller is going to be the starting center I'd be surprised if he doesn't start but maybe he starts at guard and Matthew Jones starts at center I don't know so I'm going to be intrigued to see how you know and whatever we actually get to see how they divide that up in terms of reps at that center spot.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one because it's, you know, that's in recent history, Ohio State's had some great, great centers. And I think the talent is there for them to have another great center, whether it's Harry Miller or Matt Jones or Luke Whippler, like those guys are all really high. They were all ranked as
0: like top two centers in their recruiting class.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, quite literally doesn't get any better than that. But, but I think that, you know, just looking back on, on our conversations about what Ohio state will look like over the past two months, our conversation on this podcast, it's like this offense is a chance to be truly dynamic um, and, and, in many different ways. And I think the one thing is like, you just look up and down and this shouldn't be a surprise because we follow, we all follow recruiting, but there is so much talent on this offense. I mean, all of the unproven areas, the, the places where we're like, you know, backup tight end, uh, that third wide receiver, which running backs are going to play, the interior of the offensive line, the quarterbacks, like all the places where you have question marks, you're basically talking about top 100 recruits as well. And like if those are your question marks, you're probably okay.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt the talent is there. I mean, obviously, when you go into a spring – where none of your quarterbacks have ever thrown a pass in a collegiate game, there's going to be some anxiety there. And there's going to be some anxiety all the way up until September two with that position, no matter how good they look this spring, because there's a whole difference than in practicing at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center and playing on a Thursday night under the lights on the road at Minnesota in your first ever game as a starting quarterback. So I mean, there's going to be some anxiety. I think there's going to be some sleepless nights for Ryan day leading up to the season with that quarterback position, but that doesn't mean they don't have the potential to have another great quarterback. It's just when you're replacing a guy who's as good as Justin Fields, and you're going to be leaning no matter which way it goes on a very inexperienced guy to do that. That's going to be the big question that pervades over this offense for the next six months.
1: All right. You want to talk a little quick hoops since they are going to play in a tournament. This weekend, not the NCAA tournament,
0: but the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, the Big Ten tournament. And we'll see. This is now, you know, we, we've now gone, you know, three straight Real Pod Wednesdays episodes talking about Ohio State losing yeah. because they, they haven't won a game in over two weeks now. Uh, they've lost their last four games to end the regular season. And just b- before we preview the Big Ten tournament here, in, in your opinion, Colin, how much is this – simply Ohio state hitting a really tough stretch of games at the end of regular season. And how much of this is the team actually regressing? Yeah. I mean, I just think, I mean, maybe we're a little bit too out
1: on our skis um, when they were playing so well in in February. But I also think at that point, like we were wondering about what this team's ceiling was and I don't think we really knew it at the time. And I think we just figured that out. (laughs) And you know, I think that they're a really, really. I think they're a really good Big Ten team, um, and probably you know a top fifteen team in the country. But they have some clear drawbacks, um, and I think defensively they're still not even close to where you would want them to be. I think offensively, obviously, as we've seen their 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 inability to close games late, their fifty seven perform, point performance against Iowa. Um, they're not as consistent of an offensive team as they, as they were at, at some other points earlier in the season. I think that um, I think that that's really what it is. And also like, it's hard. I think that this, it's really hard to figure out right now because the four straight losses are, you never want to lose four straight games. That's a bad thing. I'm stating the obvious, but if you look at the four, like, Three of them were to the top five teams in the country. One was to a surging Michigan State team with Tom Izzo, as it said, coach, where there were a bunch of weird calls in that one. Um, two of them were really close at the end, and you could have beat two top five teams at the end if you had closed them out the right way. One of them was just an outright bad performance. So I think if you're just throwing in the towel on this season, I think you're probably crazy. I think if you still view Ohio State as the top five team in the country, you're also crazy. But nobody's doing that. There's way more people now who are throwing in the towel on the season. I think that that's where people have now gone overboard. Is they've gone. I think people have gone overboard um, too much in, in the other direction. And I think that you know we will we'll see what this team looks like in the in the Big Ten tournament. But um, they'll get a they'll get a, a poorly playing Minnesota team or a poorly playing Northwestern team, and if they still lose that game, all right then we're hitting the panic button but until that happens i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna hold back for a little bit
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think individually any of those four losses, like in terms of the opponent that they lost to. I don't think any of those like I look at is like, wow, that was a really bad loss for Ohio State. Like, I think we knew those were going to be four tough games. You don't want to lose all four. I mean, even if you went one and three, that would look a lot better than going and four in that stretch. So it's definitely not good to be in this stretch of games. But it's also it's not like Ohio State lost to any really bad team here. I mean, Michigan state beat Michigan this weekend, like Michigan state has clearly found its groove here at the right time going into March. So these are four good teams. Ohio state lost to, you know, that's the reality of playing into big 10. I mean, I think, I think we knew three weeks ago that this team was overperforming its talent in terms of playing in the best basketball conference in the country and winning as many games in a row as they had. So I think some crashing back down to earth for this team was inevitable I I do think the fact that we've seen here in these last few games that the offense just has not performed in a way that it, it was for quite a good while there. I I mean, I do think that's alarming and I think, I think it does go back a bit to some of the concerns from earlier years. You know, this team, they just don't really have a closer. Like they don't have that offensive superstar. Like EJ Liddell is a really good player, but he's still, he's not that guy who's necessarily going to take over a game. And then, you know, with three minutes left and you, and you need, you know, a guy to really just take over and finish off that game. They just, from a scoring perspe- perspective, they don't really have that guy. And I do think, you know, we're seeing some of the drawbacks of that.
1: Well, I think, you know, it has to be Dwayne Washington. I think that's the thing that I always have come back to over the past week or so and thinking about it. And that's because, you know, E.J. Liddell is a great scorer, obviously. And I think that Ohio State could have done well to to get on the ball once or twice more than he did down the stretch of the of the Illinois game. But he's also not the shot creator that, that Dwayne Washington is. Um and and by shot creator, I mean guy who can create his own shot for himself or others. And 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 he's you know, he had six assists in that game against Illinois. I thought he would he he was he was pretty key in um, distributing the ball at times, but he also took a he he took a couple poor shots down down the stretch. He also took in, at least one of the shots. Even you know Chris Holman had mentioned thought it was a perfectly fine shot. Um, he just missed it. Uh, he has to like that's the kind of shot that he has to make come tournament time. I think if we're talking about the offense, like he when I was writing a piece on on some of the factors for uh what it will take for Ohio State to make a run in the Big Ten tournament. I got to a point, and then I just started doing some research, and I'm like, I wish that I had actually just written a whole article about this instead of including it in one little section, because I would just write an article about the other guys, and the other guys not named Dwayne Washington and E.J. Liddell, because if you just look at their production, it has been completely lackluster. Uh, I think Justice Sewing had – Arguably I thought he until he fouled out, I thought he was in line for maybe his best game as a buck guy with 15 points and eight rebounds against Illinois. But he obviously had really struggled there for for a few games. And, you know, his behind the back pass against Michigan loomed large after that one. Kyle Young, um Last 5 games, Kyle Young hasn't topped 8 points or 7 rebounds, and maybe the most staggering st- statistic of them all is he's shot below 50% in all 5 games, which like I triple I did like a triple take when I saw that, um, because I didn't quite realize that. I knew he wasn't playing very well, um, but 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 I hadn't quite realized that. Justin Orange is 3 for 11 on threes in the past 4 games. Zed Key I think is is has had some problems defensively and he's had 14 points in the last 4 games, which like that's Fine. It's not really, um, it's not that impressive. Uh, Seth Towns hasn't scored more than three points in a game in over a month. Uh, Musa Jal is still largely a non factor offensively, and he's dealing with a sprained ankle. Like, I think what made this Ohio State team special early in the season is that these other guys would step up when Ohio State really needed them to. And we're just not seeing that. We haven't seen that. Like, there have been instances where one guy has has really played well. I think C.J. Walker's played really, really well at, uh, of late. Um, Justice Sewing's one game against Illinois was
0: really good. They just need more from those guys, in, in, in my opinion. So when you look at the Big Ten tournament draw, what are your thoughts? How do you think this sets up for the Buckeyes?
1: I think we can start with Tussie's question, which is um, – given, basically, do you think it's better for Ohio State to have missed the double bye in order to play one game against a more winnable opponent? And I think, in my opinion, I think the answer is yes. Because, you know, if, if I were to say, you know – what gives Ohio state a better chance of winning the big 10 tournament? I would probably say getting that double bye, Um, because it gives you a shorter path. You don't have to deal with four games in four days. It's just three games in three days. Um, and one less game is one less opportunity to lose, but this team just needs a win like this team, but beyond, beyond winning a championship, this time, this, this team just needs to feel what it's like to win a game, get back in, in a rhythm on a roll and, and go from there. I think this team needs the Big Ten tournament more so to, to fix itself rather than to, to win some hardware.
0: Yeah, it would be really bad for Ohio State to go into the NCAA tournament on five straight losses and having not won a game in almost a month. So uh, I agree. I mean, I think having the single buy uh, actually is good for Ohio State. And I think Ohio State needs to, you know, needs to go win and win win well. You know, I you know, they need to play really well in that first game and, and get that win uh, just to get the – you know, the stabilizers back on, you know, and then we'll see what happens from there. You know, I mean, I think, you know, you, I look at the second round matchup with Purdue and like, you know, to me, like that's the game you really want to see. I mean, obviously they got to beat Minnesota or Northwestern. If they don't, that'd be a really bad loss and a really bad way to go into the NCAA tournament. If you assume Ohio state wins that game, then I look at the Purdue game is like, you know, that's the game. Like you really want to see Ohio state win. Like, you know, a couple weeks ago, I would really been looking forward to a potential semifinal Ohio State-Michigan matchup. Now, I don't have nearly as much confidence that Ohio State can actually win that game. But in terms of you know a Purdue game, you know, that's a team that they lost to twice during the regular season. That's a game that Ohio State needs to win. That's a game that if Ohio State's really going to get back on track and have any kind of momentum going into the NCAA tournament, that Purdue game to me is a game – that Ohio state needs to win. I think, I think if Ohio state can beat Purdue and get to the semifinals of the big 10 tournament, I think that's probably enough for Ohio state to secure a two seed. Um, You know, they're not going to be in the one seed at this point, but I think that's probably enough for them to secure that two seed. Uh, But I, to me, like that's the one, like I really look at, like if you're going to come out of this big 10 tournament with anything to feel good about, if you're Ohio state, you've got to at least beat Purdue.
1: Yeah. I think that's a, That is a completely reasonable statement. I, you know, Purdue's completely beatable, despite the fact that Ohio State's lost them twice. I mean, once they didn't have EJ Liddell. The other time, it was a great shot at the end of the game to 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 seal that for Purdue. Um, and Ohio State was right in it down the stretch. Um, they'll have they'll have to deal with Trayvon Williams in the middle, um, and they didn't really do very well with that in either game, but particularly the second one. So this is this to me is a is a big is a big chance for them to to show what they've learned in the four losses. And also show what they've learned in losses to every single team along the way, because if they made the big 10 championship, they probably
0: would play four games in four days against four teams that they've lost to. So I think I know what you're going to say, but what do you think is going to happen in the big 10 tournament?
1: I'll pick them to win um, against either Minnesota or Northwestern and y'all. I'll probably pick them to to lose against Purdue just because I don't trust that their I don't trust their defense. I think that the the back to back nature of the tournament is is tough for this team, and the offense has given me enough um, concern about them lately to to just not pick against them. But I honestly think that game is pretty close to a 50-50
0: toss up. Yeah, I agree, but I'm going to pick them to beat Purdue. I'm going to say they beat Purdue. Uh, I think they learned from their losses before, earlier in the season. I do think Purdue is plenty beatable. I think they will win that game. I'm I'm not going to pick them to beat Michigan because they haven't played well enough here down the stretch for me to have confidence that they can beat one of the top three teams in the country. But, you know, I think I'm going to say they beat Purdue. In your opinion, if they lose to Purdue, will they stay on the two seed line or will they drop to the three seed line?
1: Um I would guess that they that they stay at the two, but I think that that's just such a such a close call at that point. I mean, it's it's, it's hard to guess because obviously you're also playing the guessing game with what the others um, in contention for that would,
0: would do in the tournaments. Big Ten tournament starts, uh, I think, approximately 2 p.m. on Thursday for Ohio State against Minnesota or Northwestern, which by the time you're listening, that game might have already been played. But uh, you'll be there. Colin will be there in Indianapolis. Zach will be there taking photos. So be sure to keep up with 11warriors.com for full coverage of the big 10 tournament a uh, few more of your questions uh, we'll get to before we go um, a few of you did send questions about the defense i'm going to hold those for next week because we're going to talk defense on next week's show uh but you guys there were a few general questions that we'll get to here uh Hovenot, you asked uh do you guys know how much slash what kind of access you'll have to spring workouts hoping they loosen the reins a little Well, we're hoping to, uh, we're hoping to, uh, I can tell you that honestly at this moment we're speaking, I don't know exactly what that access is going to look like. You know, I mean, when we're talking about, you know, like the news that came out on Tuesday about COVID, I mean, things could change like they could tell us we're going to have access and that could go away or or, or vice versa. So, uh, I don't know if we're even going to know like for sure, like what access is going to look like for the whole spring, uh, going into it. You know, I, I think it's, certainly going to be more limited than it's been in, in past years. Um, but I know I'm hopeful, you know, I think, you know, in the past, typically we've been allowed to watch some practices inside the indoor facility. If a Woody Hayes athletic center, I would be shocked to fail out us to do that because there's just not enough space in there. If anybody's ever been in there, you'll know, like there's just not any space to to keep us distance from the team if we're in there. So I can't see that happening, but I'm hopeful, you know, they scrimmage in the stadium or even if they practice on the outdoor fields that hopefully they'll be able to, to get us in to watch some practice, uh, you know, socially distance. I I know we're going to be pushing for it. So, uh, we're certainly hoping so, but unfortunately we just don't know for sure at this point.
1: Better the access, the the better the content. That's for sure. Um,
0: That's for sure.
1: Men, Buck, S is Ohio State the last team in the first tier of college football. With Alabama and Clemson are the first team in the second tier. With schools like Oklahoma, Georgia, Notre Dame, and LSU. And I assume we're not talking about this specific specific year. They're talking. Yeah, it is a program. The, I think. Yes, and I think that we could probably take a half hour on this question, but to run through it in thirty seconds, Dan, what's your answer?
0: My answer is is they are the last team in the first tier. That would be. My opinion is that they're, you know, they're. I think, you know, Alabama is number one right now. I think Clemson's number two right now. And I think Ohio State's number three. And I think, I think the gap between Ohio State and everybody else is bigger than the gap is from Ohio State to those top two. Now, you know, those teams have both won multiple national championships since Ohio State has. So that's why they're both ahead of Ohio State at this point. But, you know, I think particularly if you look at what these teams are doing in recruiting, like Ohio state is still recruiting at that uh, elite level. And they're still in a position where you expect them to make the college football playoff every year. So I still think they're in that tier one. I do think they're behind those other two teams, but I I still think they're in that tier above everybody else.
1: I think that I do think they're also in that tier. I think it's, I think you could also make a case that Alabama is in tier one, Clemson and Ohio State are in tier two, and then there's a tier three below them. Um, I think that that's a completely reasonable argument to make, because I think that, you know, I don't think that there's a ton of separation between Ohio State and Clemson right now. And I think you can see that on the recruiting trail. and, And obviously, Ohio State is the last win over Clemson. So to say that there's big separation there, I think that would just be incorrect. Alabama, given what Alabama has been, given what Alabama just did to Ohio State, I think there's a pretty clear separation between Ohio State and Alabama. But at the same time, um, I look at the other teams that 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 we view as right now as 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 programs as below Ohio State. I think they're also. Notably below them. Like I don't think you're gonna make a you're gonna see a lot of arguments from from people um, to to put a Georgia or an Oklahoma um, on top of Ohio State right now. Um, so I actually think it's rare that it is this clean. Like it's rare that there are this few arguments about program stature because I think of course there are people who have who have differing opinions, but I think more so than than most years, this is one of those times where there's sort of a clear one through three. Um, and a separation beyond then.
0: All right, the last question for today, I probably should have given us one some more thought, but we'll see if you have a quick answer, Colin. What is your favorite spring game memory? Like, I feel like, I feel like there's like the, the funny dumb one, which is
1: when we didn't know that they were going to play two-hand touch football for like a quarter, and then we everybody's in the stands realizing that they paid money to go watch a two-hand touch game. So that one was probably my least fun one because we're all sitting there watching the game being like, wow, I always knew that the spring game was uninteresting. and I didn't quite realize that they're going to take it to a new level uh, this year. But I think that the real answer is back in 2017 when they did the halftime throwing competition, when it was Cardale Jones, Joe Burrow, JT Barrett, and those guys were trying to throw the ball as far as they can. I think that's just fun. That's just fun. That was that, that to me was,
0: you know, exactly what a, what, a, what a spring game um, in a normal year should be about. That was fun. You scared me when you said 2017, because I thought you were about to steal mine, but I'm going to go with another one from that year. I'm going to go with when uh, Jacob Jarvis got into the game uh, and he scored the touchdown at the end of the game in 2017. Again, things a spring game should be about something fun like that, something to recognize somebody who's uh, been around the program and, you know, has had to deal with his share of challenges in life and to kind of, you know, have that, you know, cool kind of moment for him. uh, I thought that was a lot of fun. So, you know, uh, hopefully there'll be some more fun at this year's spring game. You know, I don't, I still don't think we're going to get to see a normal spring game this year in terms of uh, COVID protocol, but, you know, I I think those are the answers because it's like, you don't really, you don't, you don't usually remember the plays that happened in a spring game. You certainly don't remember the final score because it's irrelevant, but, uh, it's kind of those fun little things that happen around the spring game that can be pretty cool.
1: I'm looking back at a video that that um, long throw competition. Like it's sort of amazing to see that the quarterbacks were J T Barrett, um, Cardale Jones, Joe Burrow, Dwayne Haskins, uh, Darren Lee's throwing, Curtis Samuel's throwing, Eli Apple's throwing. Like that is a lot of talent just
0: throwing balls for a uh, hundred thousand to see. Hey, I think a lot of people would enjoy watching a CJ Stroud versus Jack Miller versus Kyle McCord throwing competition at halftime this year. And maybe we can get, you know, maybe Dewan Jones can get in there. Maybe some other guys uh, can get in there and we can see how far they can chuck it too. All I care is about is uh, if, if Cardale Jones shows up,
1: because Cardale Jones walks up there and just like almost seemingly with no effort and just throws it approximately 700 yards.
0: I bet he could still do that. I think that would be fun. Oh
1: yeah. There's not a chance or not a, not a doubt in my mind that, that there's
0: a chance of that. Well, thanks again for listening in to this week's episode of real pod Wednesdays. Next week we'll continue previewing uh, spring football and we'll also be previewing of the NCAA tournament because we'll have a bracket next week. So thanks again for listening in and talk to you again soon.